Oh gosh, sorry. So, I just like read ahead to some of the listener comments. It freaked me out so much, Lauren. <laughs> uh, just give me a second. Sure. Fucking out. <laughs> oh, this story is too creepy, and I'm locked in this room. Open the door. Open the window. Because the it's street, fine. the street noise is too loud. And oh yeah, it's too loud. I am just stuck in this room. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, this is not the night. <laughs> I mean, the yellow wallpaper needs to come with a trigger warning, apparently. Uh, yeah, I like, I used to not believe in trigger warnings, but. But now, the story do. Hello, and welcome to Bonnets at Dawn, the podcast that pits Jane Austen against all three Bronze sisters, apart from this week when we are taking a trip across the pond. We will be discussing The Yellow Wallpaper by Charlotte Perkins Gilman. Did I say that right, Lauren? You did. You did. And this is um, your introduction to The Yellow Wallpaper, correct? It is. Oh, man. So I guess that means that I'm your host, Hannah Chapman, sort of not Charlotte Perkins Gilman. <laughs> <laughs> You're not Team Perkins Gilman. You're just uninformed. And you are... Leading you in to say who you are. <laughs> oh yeah, of course. I'm uh, I'm Lauren Burke, guys. I am usually Team Bronte. This week I will be Team Perkins Gilman. I'm not like not that? Team Perkins Gilman. I was doing our bit. Yeah, you were. I'm I got I gotcha. I'm kind of Team Charlotte. This Charlotte I like. Okay. All right. Well, I think you're you're really gonna even like like her more after I just you know throw some facts at you as well. I did some reading. She's very interesting. You did some reading. I did some reading. Okay. <laughs> did you read my show notes? I didn't read your show notes. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> well, be prepared to be surprised then. So, um, I've actually wanted to talk about the yellow wallpaper for quite a while. Um, got a couple reasons on this. The first one I'm going to hit you with right away. So actually, um, Joy, Joy Anderson, um, she kind of inspired me to bring this up in our discussion about the secret garden versus eight cousins. Yeah, that was back in May. Um, I'll just read Joy's comment real quick. And this was regarding the secret garden. She said, you know, I just reread the secret garden. And what struck me this time is how cruel the think positive message is to someone who has an actual illness. When Frances wrote this, her son Lionel had just died from tuberculosis. And while of course the book doesn't come out and say that the whole healing power of thoughts thing, um, it, it implies it. So, um, yeah, I I am actually totally on board with what Joy is saying. I, I don't really think that was Francis's intention, though, um, that like the, you know, the power of positive thinking can like cure illness uh, within the secret garden. I but kind of. Yeah, I don't. Oh, we've we've talked about this. Like, I, I think that's almost like the opposite of the point of that book, because none of the children mm-hmm. have actual illnesses and they're being described. Yeah. Uh, treatments for things that they don't have which is making them more ill because there's nothing wrong with them exactly and so that's why I thought that this was actually more of a hit on um Silas Weir Mitchell's like rest cure yeah so that's um so yeah that inspired me to go wait we I think we need to like step back and look at like 
the way mental illness or just illness Mm -hmm. was treated um, back in the day and, uh, you know, maybe see what Francis was possibly talking about. There's another reason I wanted to talk about the yellow wallpaper, but we will um, we will get to that later. So now maybe we should just get to Silas Weir Mitchell, who is um, the creator, the daddy of the rescuer. So Silas was an American neurologist. Um, he developed the rescuer in the late 1800s. And this was for the treatment of hysteria, mm-hmm. anorexia, and postpartum depression. So who suffers from all those things? Women. Anna? Women. So, I mean, really women were being prescribed the rescuer more so than men. Um, you know, men got it too, especially after the Civil War. I read that a lot of guys were prescribed the rescuer. But Yes, do yeah, exactly. But um yeah, this is this is essentially like for ladies and for a very particular kind of lady. It's like usually for like an upper class um white lady. Yeah, well someone that actually wants to be locked away for 6 to 8 weeks not earning a living or you know, supporting the household. Exactly. And they also thought people of color didn't like suffer from these like afflictions as well. Of course, no, that was interesting not. when I yeah when I read that. So yeah, um, so what is the rescue? It's um, I mean what it sounds like. It lasts for six to eight weeks. It involves um, isolation from your friends and family. It's just enforced bed rest, and you're like force fed, like a very fatty diet to sort of put calories on you. Um, you're not supposed to do anything. You're not supposed to like write. You know, watch Netflix on your iPad. You're just supposed to like lay in bed and do nothing. Let people let people feed you. Yeah. Let people just treat you like an infant, basically. So um, Mitchell believed that the point of the rescuer was both physical and moral. Moral. Um, moral. Well, you know, think about a lot of ladies who were prescribed the rescuer, and we're going to talk about like the kind of people who were prescribed the rescuer, like. I don't know. Maybe they had some immoral thoughts. Maybe they were doing some immoral things. Maybe they were like fighting for women's rights. Yeah. So, you know, you just got to like lock those women away, right? Just lock all the women away. I, I feel like that's just the, the cure, isn't it? For just women yeah. having a thought, just lock them up. Just lock them up and then like say things like, oh, this is good for them because it increases their weight and their blood supply and... I don't know, it removes them from toxic social atmospheres, quote unquote. But really, it's like what it did succeed in doing was actually just breaking down a person's will. Mm-hmm. So um, a couple of a few people that were prescribed the rescuer, uh, Jane Adams, who is founder of Hull House. So, yeah, she definitely would be prescribed that. Uh, Frances Hodgson Burnett. I think she underwent it a couple of times Um she had a history of suffering from depression and postpartum. We are going to talk about that more this fall when we cover her. Um, Virginia Woolf. Okay. I think she underwent the rescuer several times to try to battle her depression. And, of course, um, Charlotte Perkins Gilman did as well. Our gal. Gal of the week. Our gal. So um, she was one of the first people that I covered many years ago in school in my feminist lit class. Um, I wish, so I just I really feel like I'm going back. Lit class. 
Uh, yeah, I know, right? If, well, there, if there is now. like a local one to Bristol, <laughs> let me know, guys, because I'm super interested and I feel like I missed a step. And Perkins Gilman is definitely like feminist lit 101, but also she's American. So I kind of wonder, um, you know, our listeners overseas, if you guys want to chime in, like, have you guys heard of her? Is this? Yeah, I never had. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm very curious. Um, she's also someone that's like, I think, you know, if you have heard of her, you've only heard of the yellow wallpaper. And she, of course, wrote many other things. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the classic, like, woman writer. Right. She, write, she wrote one, one thing. That's what we talk yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. And for, like, over 10 years, I think she had her own magazine that she edited and, like, wrote in. Oh she wrote, like, goodness. 87 issues. She wrote books. Like, she was wildly yeah. prolific. Um, so... Who was she? She was an American. Obviously, she was born in 1860 to Mary Perkins and Frederick Beecher Perkins. So um, she is the great uh, niece of Harriet Beecher Stowe. Harriet Beecher Stowe keeps coming up on this podcast. Yeah, I feel like, well, one, I've forgotten who it is. And two, (laughs) (laughs) she wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin. I've never read Uncle Tom's Cabin. It's another American, like, classic. Um, We could go over Harriet sometime on the show, especially her and her sisters. Like, they're pretty influential as far as, like, women's rights. And, yeah, yeah, they would be interesting to cover. Um, Yeah, she keeps coming up. Friends with Louisa. Louisa. Friends with Louisa. Louisa. I know. (laughs) It's funny. (laughs) I, of course, said that because, like, my friend was visiting today and her daughter's name is Louisa. Spelled the same way. Oh, friends with Louisa May Alcott. <laughs> and um, also, uh, you know, connections with uh, Elizabeth Gaskell. It's all it just all slots together, doesn't it? Exactly. So um, I find it interesting that Gilman went to RISD. So Rhode Island School of Design. And she actually was an artist for a while and she supported herself by making uh, trading cards. Sweet. She. Yeah. Very cool. Um, she also was a teacher for a bit. And guess what? Just like everyone else, she hated it. <laughs> None of these women enjoy teaching. Um, in 1884, she married a man called Charles Stetson. And less than a year later, she gave birth to her daughter, Catherine. Um, Charlotte already like had a history of suffering from depression. And soon, you know, she was suffering from postpartum depression, um, which I believe they they labeled postpartum hysteria. Um, And after a while, you know, it it was really, it was getting really bad. And she sought the help of, uh, you know, of Silas. And of course he gave her the rest cure and, you know, again, bed rest, isolation, overfeeding. Massaging. Um, Yeah. Yeah. With like, you know, electrodes to sort of like get your muscles moving. I mean, for God's sake, don't get out of bed. Don't leave the room. Um, and you can't, you know, no sewing, no writing, no talking, no nothing. Can't do anything. You're just a baby laying in a bed. And, um, of course, this drove her insane. It it really, her, you know, mental state really deteriorated and she um, contemplated suicide. It yeah. got that bad. So, um, eventually, she recovers and she goes on to write the yellow wallpaper which is a response to the rescuer, and she sends it to him. Like, look, bitch, 
this is what you did to me. You drove me crazy. Um, Later on in her autobiography, she writes that she did hear through the grapevine that he like, he really took her story to heart and he actually changed up some of the instructions in the rescuer and like it, it had an effect on him. That's never been, um, you know, confirmed, but yeah. Um, well, I read somewhere that he continued practicing the rescuer, like, um, until the 20th century for like 16 more yeah. years after the publication <laughs> of the book. So it's like a nice yeah. fairy tale, but, um, yeah, probably not true. Yeah. Probably not true. But like hell of a story. Yeah. Right. Right. Send a copy to the guy that nearly killed you. (laughs) Exactly. Um, I kind of feel that's why I kind of feel like the secret garden is also a response to the rescuer because, you know, Colin is just sitting in this room. He's he's just doing nothing. He's like an infant. And it really is about like getting Colin out in the world and sort of, you know. But restoring also, his health but via also fresh Mary, air and activity. Like and Mary as well. About yeah. the state that she's in, like she doesn't know how to dress herself. Yeah. She arrives. Exactly. Um, so it's almost like becoming an adult for her. She's just referred to as like the strange little child. She doesn't really have a personality until she starts going outside and mm-hmm. you know. Exactly. Yeah. So he should have gotten a copy of that as well, I think. Um but uh, yeah, I you know this is not an episode on Perkins Gilman, but I do have to say her the rest of her life story is absolutely fascinating. Like she gets a divorce, she moves to California, her husband ends up her ex husband ends up marrying her like best friend. They oh. have all like a great like co parenting situation. <laughs> she uh, moves in with a woman in California who's a reporter. They have a relationship. She starts like you know, writing. She's she's also doing some like journalism. She um yeah, writes a so book on economics. Basically like it's, we're gonna we're gonna cover Gilman. She's fascinating. We're covering Gilman. Yeah. She's off our street. She's totally totally fascinating character. But um we're not here to talk about her. We're here to talk about the yellow wallpaper, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean really short synopsis. Guys, you should read it for sure. Um it's free on the internet. It's, it's so only short it's super short i mean when we read it in class like we read it in class like the teacher was like here you've got 20 minutes like read this and we're going to talk about it um there is a link in our facebook group as well and on our twitter basically a woman is prescribed the rescuer she is locked in a room and she slowly goes crazy there you go yeah (laughs) that yeah that is a synopsis of it that is, um, I want to hear your reactions to the story. Uh, First time reading. I found I it, honestly, I found it really hard to to read. Um, I had agoraphobia when I was, you know, 24. So I did mm-hmm. sit in a room for eight weeks. Um, I ate a very <laughs> high fat diet, which is also high sugar, which really affected my health and my mental health deteriorated rapidly and it was on the back of a really controlling and horrible relationship which right. broke me down so I can't remember I think it's like the fifth the fifth paragraph and it's like um her husband laughs at her but yeah. you, you should expect that from a marriage and that was I was just like nope I'm not gonna enjoy this <laughs> and it's so well written it's like really beautiful but I I still feel a bit sick if I'm honest. Yeah. It's really it's, put me it's in a bad to read. <laughs> I found it very distressing. It is uh, meant to be distressing. 
Really? I think uh, critics at the time were like, oh, I don't know anyone that could read this and enjoy the story. And basically, Charlotte was like, yeah, that's not the point. <laughs> I really like, I can't wait to read it again. Like, I think it's going to give me nightmares tonight, to be honest. But um, just so well constructed. And yeah. like, just the tension. Um, and like, just the short paragraphs and the like stream of consciousness almost. And then, oh, it just starts getting real weird. It's so... It's yeah, a it's creepy story. Well, it's written like a horror. It is a horror story. story. It is. A, I mean, a it is a horror story. story. But the, I um, think the thing that it it's not fantastical. That's the thing. It's like right. It's it's very real. Um, I don't know if you haven't experienced it, like personally, but like it's such a, it's such a. It's just, it feels very real, like very authentic yeah. reading it. It just really took me back to like how I felt. So, yeah. Yeah. What I find really interesting about rereading this story now is that the first time I read it, I was, you know, I don't know, 19. And um, I remember talking about it in very technical terms, mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, like the, about the construction of the story and being like, oh, this is very interesting that she's like applying like, you know, a horror story to, you know, or horror style to, you know, a story about mental illness. And this is clearly about postpartum depression. And okay, like, there we go. Like, I I talked about it in very clinical terms, because I think at that age, I was not ready. I didn't really, I didn't, you know, I didn't didn't really relate to it. Get it. it. Yeah. And here I am in my 30s. And, um, you know, I just I like the other reason I wanted to talk about this story is because I've been thinking about it nonstop for the past few weeks um, because I had like a really horrible birthing experience. Yeah. <laughs> and I do not you know, I'm not suffering from postpartum depression, but um, I still can relate to it. So um, I had my daughter. Essentially, I had a botched epidural. Following the epidural, I had some very unpleasant procedures called blood patches and one of those was botched as well and then I had a stroke and then when you have a stroke kind of like no matter what condition you're in um when I was in the ICU I was on bed rest and I couldn't do anything yeah so I couldn't use my arms I could not read um actually they took my glasses away from me did they <laughs> just sitting, they did and I was like I can't read or see or why do anything why did they take your glasses away they would give them back to me when they wanted to do neuro neurological checks but yeah they took my glasses that's and I couldn't okay I know I couldn't use my arms either um be, one because I had um an IV that had an alarm attached to oh. it in one of my arms and the other reason was because uh one of my arms actually for a while, because of the stroke, I, I could not use it. I didn't have any strength in my arm. Now I do. I have recovered. I'm I'm fine. You but a um, copy of this book, man. I know, right? But I was on bed rest, and it like it drove me insane, and I couldn't see my child. Mm. Um, for the time that I was in the hospital, I didn't see my kid for nearly seven or eight days. Um, I just was like sitting there, just no strength. I was I was. I was fed because I couldn't use my arms. Um, so, yeah, I've just been thinking about this story sort of nonstop. And, um, and while I was in the hospital, like at one point I was able to use the computer and my glasses and my arm again. And um, it was like the first thing I looked up, which is probably really morbid, right? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <seemed> morbid. 
like, oh, I need to read this story again. Um, and yeah, and then I was just like, oh, thank God I was born now <laughs> in this in this time. Yeah. Thank God I'm not a woman. In I the 1800s. like I think maybe that's one of the reasons it affected me so much is just like I just know like all of the things that I've experienced just in my early 20s. If I was like a, a woman with money, I would mm-hmm. have, I would have just been locked up like it just would have happened. Yeah, like it would have been so different. And all of the things that have like got me past it, like being independent and writing and like looking after myself and socializing with like Mm -hmm. other intelligent and vocal women, like all of those things that kind of saved my life, like just time and time again, would have just been stripped away. And I would have been forced into the environment that my agoraphobia took, like literally like this awful thing that happened for eight weeks was a thing that was being prescribed to people like right (laughs) absolutely wild um there was one thing that really resonated with me in the story this time around um you know when I was 19 I remember my professor asking us how we felt about this but there's a point in the yellow wallpaper so basically the narrator is trapped in this room which is she's told was a nursery Mm, it isn't there's it isn't there's bars on the windows which apparently there would have been at the time if it was a nursery true but it just oh but there's like rings set into the walls and the bed's been chewed and there are like claw claw marks in the plaster and around the door uh it's like there were points where i really thought that it was going to be revealed that her name was actually bertha and (laughs) it was mr rochester that had locked her up you know, like you totally understand why guys were doing it because they were literally like purposefully driving their wives insane so that they could lock them up. Well, like also, you know, sympathy is not the right word, but I started to go like, okay, like this was a thing the guys were doing. This is a thing that doctors were prescribing to men, right? Yeah. So it almost, I almost had a little bit of sympathy for Rochester. Like, well, I mean, this is the thing. All his friends were doing it. Everyone's got a wife in an attic. This is just a thing that we do. Um, But yeah, so she's, you know, she's in there. She becomes obsessed with um, the yellow wallpaper. She's just, I mean, all she can do is stare at the pattern and try to see. She's trying to see what's beyond the pattern. And there's this point where she talks about um, women, like the woman that's like living behind the pattern. Mm Mm-hmm. And how she's escaped and how she's out there. Yeah. Like she's scuttling around in the fields. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's so distressing. Ugh. I don't know what you thought about that, but I thought about that a lot. Ugh, and I, I just, just hate it. <laughs> <laughs> well, to me, it totally was like when I was in the hospital, I kept thinking about um, myself outside of the hospital mm-hmm. and just how like this experience which is, has been quite a traumatic experience. Um, like how I'm not going to escape it. Like how it's going to stay with me. Yeah. And I just kind of like kept thinking about her trapped in that, you know, in that room, thinking about her future. Like even if I get out of here, even if I'm able to see my child again and be reunited with my husband and like, I'm never going to escape this. I just... It's, I think it's like that sticking to the 
the description of at the end when she's like walking around the room and she's keeping her shoulder against the wall mm-hmm. because it's not it's not open it's not like wide open and the way it describes the the women outside who are like hiding in the bushes and yeah um I, yeah it is it, I think it is funny the way like obviously the situations that we're thinking of is making us think about it but I was just like yeah like they're just like staying really low to the ground like or, like avoiding the wide open yeah space. there was part of me that thought the logical thing was going to be that the husband was um having an affair and that the women she was seeing were women that he was bringing to the house that she wasn't because oh, okay. she was locked in the attic I also mm-hmm, thought at mm-hmm. one point his sister was going to turn out to not be his sister but like his bit on the side but that <laughs> right. happened um but yeah just like they're all outside they're moving around outside and you're not outside you're like yeah I don't know yeah but even though they're outside like they still haven't escaped it like they still like they're like low they're like scared like when an animal's yeah. scared it like moves with its body uh, it's barely like low to the ground like that's what I'm you know like, yeah exactly yeah oh <laughs> which is like the most depressing thought I like I had that thought in the hospital and I was like oh god even if I get out of here like I'm still like this experience is still like it's life changing and you know it's gonna it's gonna affect me from here on out yeah and I might have to be low to the ground or I might you know like just just you know it, depressing thought depressing thought <laughs> god this is like a real real upbeat episode for everyone to listen I to I know right you're gonna have to like put some happy piano in the background or something oh god yeah I will get some sound effects in here from some like morning shows or something yeah, just some god. dumb fart noises or something <laughs> So, um, yeah, I, I would like to post it again and get more thoughts and like, you know, have more discussion about this on the Facebook group. We do have some listener feedback, though, however. Yeah. Um, Hannah, if you want to like maybe read some comments. I'm going to read about the yellow wallpaper. I'm going to read uh, Eleanor's comment just because it's the one that sure. I read and it just made me want to vomit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um Eleanor, like, congratulations on just making me relive how uncomfortable I felt reading that story again. Uh, Okay, I just read it again, and it is even creepier than I remembered, quite literally. And then, spoiler alert, for some reason, the first time around, I missed that she's creeping on the floor while she goes round and rubbing her shoulder against the wallpaper. I had envisaged her, envisioned, I can't talk, I had envisioned her walking upright at least, shudder like yeah it's such a physical story yeah like you can just and her stepping over the body uh well yeah i mean it's not a body because he's still alive the husband faints at the end and she's kind of just stepping over him again and again and she's just doing the laps of this room and yeah it just makes me think of like a possession like i'm surprised mm-hmm. he did not get a priest in there yeah maybe that was his next step yeah what is great about the story it's funny that you you brought up the um like you kept expecting like you know him to have a bit on the side like the story is very focused we're very focused in that room like she kind of like leaves out like i want more details about the marriage and well you get like little about what led her in. there but you don't really get a ton you only you only get like the first person stuff that she's writing down in the book and so like that's one of the most effective things about it is is how slowly the information is drip fed uh, is drip fed to you the fact that mm-hmm. 
she is a mother she's not allowed to see the baby like people are coming and going she wants to see her friend she's not being allowed to leave just like the fact that the bed is chewed like so much description of the room is not given to you when you first encounter it um Mm -hmm. it does that really clever thing where you are learning about something kind of with the author so you go in and it's like oh we're living in the nursery so that's what you're expecting and then like every now and then it'll just be like oh but there's like rings sunk into the walls you know it's like a side comment and it kind of builds up yeah Yeah. and it kind of builds up the bigger picture and so I think it it would have fit for me if it had been like that would have been like the perfect way to kind of say like why the husband's trying to get her out of the way if she was like seeing people especially the Mm. line because she says to him oh I see people walking along the paths and then he says to her don't let your imagination get the better of you Mm-hmm. which is gaslighting yeah which is what happened to me so I was like <laughs> so I was like shit that's what he's doing he's doing that thing where he knows that he's been caught and he's lying about it to her so I, that I think that's you know why I just thought that eventually it was going to be that they're like extra cruel there are women out there he does know that there's women out there <laughs> you know well I think that's why the story is really effective is because they don't it she doesn't confirm that no, exactly. but you're able to like really like apply like we are both able to apply the story to our own situations, even though they are wildly different and happen at different points in our lives. I defy any woman to read this and not feel like it's relating to something that they've been through. Like I yeah. haven't been locked in an attic with yellow wallpaper, but I feel like I wrote this. Like I feel like I've just read yeah. my diary. So actually, um, this story also inspired Rita Maria Martinez. Um, so she says that the story partially inspired a series of sonnets titled The Literature of Prescription in my poetry collection, The Jane and Bertha and Me. Um, I reread the yellow wallpaper several times for poetic inspiration, as well as a bio on the life of Charlotte Perkins Gilman. Um, now I really want to read that poem. I have her book. Many of you guys have her book after she's been on the show. Um, but yeah, I think it's just like, it's crazy relatable. Um, you know, I thought a lot, of course, this time around about the narrator and the story being separated from her child and just like that Mm -hmm. effect that it had on her and how callous, like all of the men are about this, (laughs) but men still are callous about it. Um, cause can I just say again, this is like the most depressing episode of Bonnets at Dawn, but I'm going to say it guys, cause this is my therapy. Um, when I was in the hospital, I had a I had a breast pump um, next to my hospital bed, and you know, like many of the female doctors would spot it right away, and they'd get really upset. Yeah, by the situation, male doctors like didn't didn't even know what it was, didn't really you know whatever. But many times, you know, you'd have a group of residents or so multiple doctors coming in at once, and so usually a female doctor would point it out and just be like really you know really affected by this or they'd say like how long have you been here you know where's your baby what's going on with your baby and a lot of the dudes were like how do you know she had a baby oh gosh but um i remember this one woman she got very upset and she told me later that she like she had just had a baby like like six months ago herself so she was just like oh i can't imagine like being away from my daughter like that close to delivering and um, she was really affected by it. And the male doctor in the room, I just remember him going like, it's not that big of a deal. Like, just treat it like a vacation. Like, this is 
Ugh. This is your time away. And I was like, ooh, I cannot treat this like a vacation. <laughs> But I, I thought that was interesting that that attitude, I'm just like, I saw that in multiple male doctors. <laughs> well, so um, uh, our friend Alice uh, has ME, right? And mm-hmm. there was a guy who said to her that we, we both know. And um, he said to her like, oh, it must be nice to have an excuse about her chronic illness <laughs> because <laughs> she's tired all the time. Right. And it's Just like missing a little bit of empathy there. Like in two thousand and in two thousand and eighteen, it's still like just these little lies that we say so that we get an easier ride. Right. You know. Right. Not trusting women. <laughs> Not trusting women, and like, oh, it's so funny that you know you uh, in bed. Like again, like Alice is someone else who has like a. a almost like it's not self-enforced, but her body is forcing her to take the rescue because she has a chronic mm-hmm. illness, right? And. Right. It's hard. And this guy is just like, oh, yeah, must be nice. Yeah, must, must be, be nice. Well I'm nice. jealous. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a complete lack of understanding. And you read right. it in this story and it's still so relevant and it's still so horrifying. Like that that Ugh. could have been written now. That could have been written now. People still yeah, absolutely. Like hysterical. Like I've had to train my housemate and my brother to stop saying it. Robin described it really well um, on the Facebook. Was this on the Facebook or was it on? Yeah. It was on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Robin said, this is my favorite short story. It's such a, bl- a such a perfect blend of feminism and horror and terror. And it's like, yeah, yeah horror and terror. Just <laughs> both of those. <laughs> we need um, to just do like a series that's just feminism and horror and terror. All right. So we are going to talk more about Charlotte Perkins Gilman later on. Maybe next year. God knows we have a million people to cover on this show. (laughs) But, um, need to recover. Yeah. We we do need to recover for sure. Um, you guys are awesome. And like, we have a ton of discussions with you guys on our Facebook group and via email. And we talk about books and books that we should be covering that God knows we want to cover (laughs) if we had more time. But let's just read off like some of these books. So, other people know about them and can read them and know that maybe someday in the future, bad will cover them. So Hannah, do you want to um, read this comment from Becca Allen that has some great recommendations? in it? Yeah, of course. So Becca uh, recommended The Life and Death of Harriet Freen by the British author Mary Sinclair, published in 1922. It tells the story of Harriet, who has been brought up with the Victorian ideals of beautiful behavior and female self-sacrifice and the devastating consequences of those beliefs. I think it's definitely worth reading. And another super interesting thing is that it's written in stream of consciousness style that became so popular via authors such as Virginia Woolf. Sinclair was actually the first to use the term stream of consciousness in regards to literature in 1918 when writing about Dorothy Richardson's work. That is a gold star comment. And while we are on the subject of Virginia Woolf, um, Laurie Moriarty said that uh, with regards to the yellow wallpaper, that it's nice to compare with Virginia Woolf's The Mark on the Wall. So it doesn't really have the same horror in it, but I always think of the two stories together for some reason. And she also adds that, of course, Virginia was also prescribed the rest cure and nearly driven mad. And it's got walls in it. Yeah. So if you're a fan of walls, could not recommend these 
enough. These books. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like them. I'm into them. <laughs> so now we also had another um, great book recommendation via email from Nev. Nev wrote us like the nicest email ever in the history of the world. It made me cry. Yeah. And then Lauren sent it to me and then it made me feel very sad as well. No, like not sad. That's not, not the word. Teary. I teared up. I had an emotion. It was great. One. Um, in her email, she did say that she loves Elizabeth Gaskell and no one appreciates wives and daughters enough. And we hear you, guys. Guys, it's coming. Wives it is coming. Is wives coming. and daughters is coming. Every day, wives and daughters. We get it. We'll do we, it. it. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, email. We got it. It's happening. We're going back to Gaskell House in December. I it's cracked happening. an egg. Someone wrote wives and daughters on the inside of the shell. That was weird. Yeah, it's uh, we God, it's happening, guys. Don't <laughs> worry. Um, pick up your copies now. It is a huge book. So if you want to get started early, go for it. But the threads won't be up until the end of the year. Um, but she recommended a couple of books in this email that were not on my radar. Um, one was the One City, One Book uh, choice for Dublin, Ireland. Do you guys do that in like Bristol and London? We do that in Chicago, actually. Uh, I mean, we could well do. I've never heard of it, which just shows <laughs> that I don't know anything about anything that anyone has ever said to me. So, okay. Are you All surprised? Right. No, I'm not. Um, the book that was chosen this year for Dublin was called The Long Gaze Back, which is an anthology of short stories by Irish women writers. Um, I have picked up this book. I have started it. I have not finished it, but it's great. <laughs> So a couple of other authors that Neve suggested were Elizabeth Bowen and Maeve Brennan. Um, we don't really, uh, so in your message as well, Neve, you said, uh, don't know if we're looking to move away from our English American focus, but it's kind of accidental. Yeah, if it's you just think because about of who we are. The Brontes and Austin, they're not, neither of them are American. Yeah, although I bring in some American, you know, we've got Louisa. We've got Louisa now, got but Louisa was my now. idea. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's Brit. true. So it's, yeah, it isn't. So if there's ever any authors that anyone's kind of interested in, we absolutely are not pushing a Brit-American agenda. We're mm -hmm. uh, like open to authors from all over the world. So get them over. I would yeah. really like to read some classic literature by South African female writers because I bet there is some stuff to say. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And you have, and your grandmother yeah. is South African. Yeah. Neve also brought up Dorothy Whipple, and Dorothy Whipple's very close to my heart, and she <laughs> is coming up on the podcast. That is part of our 2019 plan, like for sure. Um, Dorothy Whipple, like, I don't know why people aren't talking about her all the time. Because we've hit our quite of women writers. Oh, God. I mean, she's so delightful. <laughs> I just, yeah. So, um, she brought up Green Banks by Dorothy. I haven't read that one. It's on my list. Um, but yeah, I we're gonna we're gonna cover her. Don't worry. High wages, I think, is essential reading, and I I'm gonna probably push for that for our read along. Mm -hmm. But that's not confirmed. But I do think that's like one of the best books. So there. And then the last book that Neve um, recommended was Elizabeth Taylor's A Game of Hide and Seek, if you're looking for like a mid-century author. so I am. I always am. I am. I'm I have for no time to read, guys. 
I know. I just buy books like obsessively and don't read them. Imagine if this was our job. I know. And researching this show <laughs> was a uh, our job. Uh, a dream. A dream. A dream. So um thank you very much, you know, for your email. We loved we loved it like top to bottom. It was fantastic and full of fantastic book re- recommendations. So um kind of switching it up a little bit. We also got an amazing email from Beth. And Beth was asking us um like how serious we were about doing sort of an East Coast American tour. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm not coming in July again. I'm seriously never I, I coming you again are. in the summer. <laughs> well, Beth lives in Newport News, Virginia. So she's right by Colonial Williamsburg. Which and I um, want to go to. I know. I know. I was like, Hannah's like desperate to go to. And I'm, I'm like, so this, we could get some interesting bonnets material out there. Um, Beth, we are definitely serious about doing it. We probably can't do it this year because God knows we have... So much going on right now. We have oh, secret yeah. bonnets plans right now, but um, very soon. And we will take you up on your offer of a Friendsgiving dinner. Like bonnets listeners are the nicest people in the world. Yeah, I want that turkey, please. Just quickly as well, because um, we should probably say about the other book that was recommended. And I can't remember who suggested it. I think it was a Mary. Um, but mm-hmm. it was the portable 19th century African-American women writers. Yes, it was, Mary. Yeah. Um, so that's uh, published by Penguin. And it's uh, sixteen, about £16 pounds UK price. Um, yeah. and you can find it like all over the place and get it shipped over. It could be quite pricey to get hold of. So I don't know if it's worth trying to order it in through your library. But that's a book that I'm desperate to read. I really want to read that. I think um, something that Lauren we and should. I talk about a lot is just like obviously how predominantly white the authors are that we look at and that's not something that we're like again intentional definitely not and um there are plans to rectify that actually there are some very exciting people on our list but we do want to pick up that book in particular and talk about it as well so and if you have already read it let us know yeah let us know what you think Now, of course, we're always begging you to give us a little review on iTunes. And as my co-worker Tom always says, Hannah, I don't listen to you through iTunes. And I say to Tom, I don't care, Tom. Please download it and give us a review on there. (laughs) This isn't a review from Tom because he hasn't done that. This is a review. Has he listened to the show at all now? Um, I think he's he's listened to a couple, but uh, he was in the D&D groups that kicked me out. Oh, maybe you shouldn't listen to it because... I think it's like episode one. I go in hard on the never play D and D with men. <laughs> I was like, you don't want to listen well, to that. You should start on episode five, my friend. <laughs> if he is listening, hey Tom. Yeah, shout out to Tom. If he is yeah. listening, it would be at work while he's sat next to me. So, hello. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mary Pagonis left us a lovely review over on the old iTunes, which you should all go and do if you haven't already, because it helps us get new listeners and increase our rankings and you know if you think we're great give us the five don't give us a four come on it just boosts our morale it just it it encourages us to keep going i mean 
I'll eat breakfast every time I get a good review. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you've ever been haunted by the absence of cool friends who have passionate opinions about Villette, or if you have a burning need to listen to a Darcy versus Rochester smackdown, this is the podcast. More fun than a barrel of Lydia Bennett's. Oh, can you imagine a barrel of Lydia Bennett's? Could you imagine a room, like a party just, full of Lydia Bennett's? You know, like there's that bit in Hook where the guy gets locked in the chest and they put, Hook is a film based on Peter Pan. Um, Thank you. Lock, Thank you. They lock, that has Gwyneth Paltrow in it. Gwyneth Paltrow's in it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, she is. In Hook. She is in Hook. And also, uh, Who is I she think in it's Hook? Her big, that's her big break because Steven Spielberg produced Hook and he put his goddaughter, who is Gwyneth who is Paltrow, in Hook? Hook. I don't know, like her granddaughter or something. She's a minor role. Nah. That's yeah, not true. Look it up. That is not look true. Look it up, lady. I know a lot about Hook. That is not true. Um, so there's that bit. It's a boo box and they lock someone in a chest and they put the, the scorpions in. That's my boo box. It's getting locked in a chest and someone just dropping Lydia Bennett in it. Yeah, absolutely. I concur. I'm still. Well, I'm thank still you, Mary. Gwyneth Paltrow and Hook. Oh, you're still looking it up. This that's such a lie. You've you have been out oh Oh yeah, she is in it. I've just remembered. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. she's not on this list. Yeah, no, she is. You're she right. Is. Yeah. Yeah. True story. I was so wrong. <laughs> I'm just gonna blow your mind with movie facts next week when you are actually here in Chicago. I mean, in between our, like, very busy schedule. We have the busiest schedule. So things are happening, guys. Um, we are going to the Jane Austen Festival in Kentucky next week. Next Friday, we drive over to Kentucky. Oh, my God. It's so exciting. So um, be on the lookout for uh, tons of pictures and posts on our Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, of course. Um, if you're going to be at the festival, just, you know, tweet at us. Or slide into our DMs and we will meet up. We have actually a couple meetups planned. One is at Sarah Rose Kern's uh, Persuasion Adaptation on Friday night. I'm very excited to see the staged version of Persuasion. Um, I believe that's like 7 o'clock. Um, then on Saturday, all of us are going to tea together. And I think those tickets are probably like sold out. Crazy. The tea tickets and the ball tickets like sold out like crazy yeah, we this year at this festival. For the ball. Which is fine because a lot of you didn't get tickets to the ball because it sold out in like two minutes. So we are going to dinner at Muscle and Burger. And um, I think there's going to be like, I don't know, 15 or 16 of us there. And uh, the more the merrier. Yeah. So come, come, on, and, come along. Come and eat a burger with us. Yeah. And then I think we're going to go out drinking afterwards. And I haven't like had anything to drink in like nearly a year so this would be really interesting (laughs) (laughs) i might record you you should i'm um i'm a great time when i'm drunk i'm told i'm always a great not confirming not confirming yeah she's just like just went silent (laughs) (laughs) if you'd like to know whether or not lorian is a good time when she's drunk i'd suggest following our social media (laughs) (laughs) find us uh, online you can find us on instagram and twitter which lauren controls even you know even when she's drunk drunk or sober lauren has control of at bonnets at dawn 
Uh, hopefully she won't send you any emails, but if you'd like to see if you can get a, a drunk response, the email is mm-hmm. bonnetsatdawn at gmail.com and you can find her forever drunk on our Facebook page. Absolutely. Which, is, yeah, I was about to say, face, you know, just bonnets at dawn on Facebook. Yeah, it's all across the board. Skype, Instagram, all of it. It's bonnets at dawn, guys. Do you remember that time that we did the drunk tweet? We were doing the live stream and we both had a drink and then I realized mine was non-alcoholic. Mm, back mm-hmm. in the olden mm-hmm. days, back in season one. Yeah. God, that took that me good back. Times. And you were yeah, smashed. Yeah, Lauren is a good time when she's drunk. Okay. Thanks I for confirming. <laughs> I once, um, I was on a panel and the moderator, he introduced me as um, someone who's always a little bit drunk. Which I thought oh, was rude. That's so rude. <laughs> I'm I'm not. That's how I'm introducing you to everyone at this festival. <laughs> Hi, it's Lauren. She's always drunk. Mm-hmm.